Greetings, mortals. Welcome to Fatal Fortunes. I'm Al. I'm Nathan. Join us for a deep dive into some of history's most fascinating characters who live dangerously beautiful lives and whose legacies haunt us today. Good morning, afternoon, hello everyone, whatever time you are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast. Remember, you can listen to us anywhere that you listen to podcasts and on YouTube if you want the visual aspect. As we start every episode today, we are going to discuss Harriet Powers, an American folk artist from the 19th century. And the way we start all of our episodes is we talk about what was happening in 1837, the year that we think our subject was born. So, I'm gonna say a few of these. You know, Nathan really took the lead on this episode, so I'm gonna let him deliver most of that. We're gonna get into some controversy, and, you know, I hope that all the artistic types like this one. You know, as someone who loves the fiber arts, this was a very exciting topic for me. So, first, in 1837, Queen Victoria ascended the throne, and the same year she moves to Buckingham Palace, and she is the first monarch to do so. The Galilee earthquake happens in Ottoman Syria. Michigan becomes the 26th state. The French capture Algeria. Louis Daguerre develops the daguerreotype. Oh, yeah. It's the birth of, you know, early photography. And do you want to give some of these other ones, Nathan? Yeah. I've never read Oliver Twist, but this is the year that Dickens published that. Please, sir. I want some more. I know that at least. More? Uh, Martin Van Bruen becomes president of Buren. the United States. Martin Van I've, Buren. That's uh, spelled whoops, wrong. Whoops, a little typo. Oh, well. Well, I don't even know who that dude is, but he apparently was the president once. He was Dutch. <laughs> once oh, once upon a time was president. Did you hear about that one prime minister that the Dutch ate? No. And oh, I think we're going to have to do That's a for story an for another time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. J.P. Morgan. <laughs> J.P. Morgan's born this year. Alexander Pushkin died. Uh, Queen Shuren, queen of what is now Korea, was born. Her male heir does not survive, and that caused some drama. Uh, a thing called the Broad Street Riots happened. I had never, ever heard of these. And, you know, we love some good Boston history. So, basically, the Broad Street Riot was a massive brawl that occurred in the Boston Financial District on June 11th, 1837, between Irish Americans and Yankee fighters. I found out that Yankees are Protestant white Americans. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um an estimated 800 people were involved in the actual fighting, with at least 10,000 spectators egging them on. Nearby homes were sacked and vandalized, and the occupants were beaten. Many on both sides were seriously injured, but no immediate deaths resulted from the violence. After raging for hours, the riot was quelled when Mayor Samuel Elliott called in the state militia. In the wake of the riot, the Boston police and fire departments were established, because basically uh, a bunch of Irish were drinking at a pub, uh, some firefighters, some Yankee firefighters came around. At this time, it was a volunteer firefighter system. So it was a really valuable and hard position to get. And basically, they start heckling the Irish, and then everyone starts fighting, and then they start, you know, chasing the Irish, and um, some pretty good drama. Just don't mess sure. with the Irish. You've seen those uh, people in Northern Ireland on the fishing boats with the Russians recently? No. Oh, my they're God. Just, yeah, they're asking for trouble. They're like, you stay out of our waters, lad. Yep. 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 So we love a good Boston fight. Um, yeah. And I think that that segues perfectly into discussing Harriet Powers. All right. 
Well, it's 1837, as we have discussed, and it's assumed that she's born this year on October 29th. Gotta represent October babies, hell yeah. Um, she's born in Clark County, Georgia, specifically near the town of Athens. Given the time she was born, um, she is born into slavery, and most historians speculate that she spent her early life on a plantation in Madison County. This is where most people believe she learned how to sew, either from other enslaved people or Nancy Lester, the mistress of the plantation. It was also here that she started to learn how to read, and in particular read the Bible. This would later serve as inspiration for her quilt work storytelling. And at the age of 18, she marries Armstead Powers, who is said to be a farmhand. And it's possible they had at least nine children, but in an 1870 census, it showed that only three lived with them at home, Amanda, Leon Joe, and Nancy. Harriet would keep house and, of course, quilt. Harriet was freed at the end of the Civil War, so that must have happened sometime in the mid-1860s. And once it was the 1880s, Harriet and Armstead had four acres of land and a small farm. However, times were, of course, not easy in rural Georgia for the newly freed Africans, and the family faced some financial troubles. During the 1890s, Armstead had to sell off portions of the land in order to get money. He also defaulted on his taxes, and then he finally leaves Harriet and their farm in 1895. Harriet, of course, stays on this farm and did end up staying in Clark County for pretty much all of her life. She never remarries and thus most likely supported herself with her seamstress skills. Backtracking just a tad now to 1886 so we can fully focus on her quilting career. It's this year in which Harriet begins uh, first exhibiting her quilts. And the first one that's displayed is probably her most well-known, the Bible quilt. This quilt is what is known as a pictorial quilt, meaning there are, of course, your standard quilting squares, but in each square there's a different image. Her background with Christianity allows this work to tell the story of many biblical figures such as Adam and Eve, Satan's involvement in that, Cain and Abel, Judas, Christ, and the Holy Family. In total, this piece has 11 squares, and it took about a year to make. It was showcased first at the Athens Cotton Fair and right away had interest in some buyers, specifically Jenny Smith. She's a teacher and she's very eager to buy it, but Harriet initially refuses. However, Harriet does stay in touch with Jenny and was told that if she was ever to change her mind, that Jenny would still be interested. So four years later, four or so years later, when those financial troubles are happening in the 90s, Harriet does end up reaching out. She asks Jenny for $10, which doing that, you know, conversion is like $300 in today's currency. But Jenny said she only had five. That seems like a fair price for a quilt, 300 bucks. Yeah, I think so too. I think she should have paid 10 But when Harriet went to consult Armstead, he told her she'd better just take the five. They needed the money. So that was it. Harriet sold this beautiful quilt for about $150. And we'll, of course, go into later how many controversies occurred because of this you know, unfair exchange. When it was handed over, Harriet explained the stories behind each square, and Jenny recorded this in notes. The quilt can now be found in the Smithsonian Institution, which I will have to go see, since the only time I've ever been to D.C. was during a government shutdown. That so, sucks, dude. D.C.'s yeah, really nice. All I those love museums, the Smithsonian's. Didn't see a one. That's sad. I'm sorry. Now, the second quilt, 
is also a pictorial quilt. And I say second loosely because there are many, but this is yeah, really the surviving. only other one that, yes, people are aware of. And it's also a biblical retelling for a lot of it. It features Job praying for his enemies, the dark day of May in 1780, which is an event that happened um, along the East Coast. And it made a lot of people think that the rapture was about to occur because the sky was very dark all day, apparently. There's a square that has the serpent being lifted by Moses, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, John baptizing Christ, Jonah cast overboard and swallowed by the whale, God creating two of every animal, the falling stars, which, again, people thought was an act of God. It turned out to be the Leonid meteor storm, the angels of wrath and the seven vials, the great freeze of 1895, the Red Nightlight of 1846, The Crucifixion of Animals, and The Crucifixion of Christ. What a packed quilt. Uh, that's a lot of squares, and it is big too, like queen bed size. So as we can see here, there are some events that aren't necessarily biblical, but did have some religious context all across the board. For those instances like the meteor shower or the dark day of May, like I said before, people often turned to prayer because they didn't know how to explain this stuff and definitely thought it was God's intervention. Many don't know exactly why Harriet included these celestial phenomenon besides imagery of Job and Moses and the like, but it certainly holds some merit when you consider that, yes, a lot of folks believed these experiences to be an act of God. Dr. Floris Barnett Cash believes it has something to do with the community she was a part of, going to church every Sunday meant the sharing of information through either preachers or neighbors. The second quilt is simply titled Pictorial Quilt, has unknown origins, but based on when these historical events happened, it couldn't have been finished before 1895, when most believe it to have been started. Historians figure it took from 1895 to 1898, and also have differing stories as to where it was commissioned. There's one story that says it has uh, two wives from the faculty of Atlanta University who had seen the Bible quilt at a Cotton States exhibition in Atlanta, and then they purchased it or commissioned it. And then there's another story that said it, it was merely purchased in Nashville, Tennessee in 1898. Whichever story is true, the quilt was then presented to Reverend Charles Cuthbert Hall in New York City. And the Reverend's heirs sold the quilt to a collector, Maxim Karolik, who then donated it to the MFA in Boston. We should go check it out. Yeah. I wonder if I've even seen it. Like, I've I've only been a handful of times to the MFA. But yeah. I mean, the MFA is huge. I don't yeah, think I've it is seen huge. it either. So these quilts were made by hand, and they also used uh, early machines of the time, and it was through applique and piecework. So instead of like putting strips together and stuff, you were doing a layering technique. Uh, the influences to these quilts were African and African American, you know, folklore and stories that we've been talking about, especially with you know a lot of Christianity themes. The use of graphic applique can also be seen in countries like Benin, and it has it's a bold way of storytelling. Um, check out our show notes at fatalfortunes.com, where we will include pictures of these quilts. And for a time where a lot of people in your community couldn't read or write, this was an amazing way to be able to tell these stories, and you could definitely see um, the message that was coming across. So I think it was a great way for educating people on their history, on the Bible, etc., 
There were probably more quilts that she made, but they have been lost to time. You know, I watched this video recently about cutting up quilts and the whole quilted jacket trend and how a lot of people are taking these like amazing quilts that have a lot of life left in them and making them into fast fashion. Mm. And then, because like how many times are you going to wear this like eccentric quilt coat? Yeah. And like a lot of them aren't like the quilts that are on their last legs, need to be refurbished, etc. So it's just, I wonder how many of her quilts have made it into landfills because people didn't know or understand what they were. We know that at least uh, four quilts that she made were sent to a woman in Iowa. There's a letter attesting to that. Um, in that letter, Harriet recounts her life as a formerly enslaved person and what the message portrayed in these uh, four quilts was. People think that her Lord's Supper quilt, of course, we don't know what it looks like today, but a lot of historians think that if this had survived, it would have been the most famous of the ones that we have today. And, you know, it may be in a collection somewhere um, hidden and we don't know what it is. Um, it may not exist anymore. Although there were many white folks who at the time claimed she wasn't able to read, we know that this was wrong. And although quilting, like we said earlier, was a way to interpret stories without words, Harriet was indeed a literate person. As stated before, some of these quilts, not only did they have historic and religious themes, they also had themes related to astronomy and the stars and the planets and um, really represent what was going on at that time. So we're going to talk about now her surviving work in controversy. This is the part that I was really excited about and definitely drew me to her story. So, you know, Harriet was reluctant to sell this quilt. She wanted to keep it as an heirloom for her family. Um, but she did end up, as we said earlier, selling it to Jenny Smith. Jenny Smith, she was a white teacher. And Jenny Smith, quote, didn't look at Harriet Powers as being the same as her. For a black person to create something like this was remarkable. And it was through that lens that she wanted to own it, said Elise Minter, the great, great, great granddaughter of Harriet Powers. This family heirloom, Bible Quilt, 1886, eventually ended up, of course, at the Smithsonian Museum. In 1992, the museum commissioned a Chinese company to start making reprints of Bible Quilt along with other works from the 19th century. These reproductions were first advertised in Spiegel, which is a now-defunct catalog that was kind of like the Sears or Montgomery Ward catalogs. The moment the ads appeared in Spiegel, the National Quilting Association and the Four County Quilt Guild were incandescent and rightly so i was watching a video the other day that i was mentioning and the speaker was saying that when you destroy or appropriate these works you end up destroying a part of women's history which i totally agree with and i will link i can't remember what the name of this woman is but i will link her video also in our show notes and i just want you guys to keep an open mind when you listen to it i know that a lot of women use fiber arts as a way to make money and she's not saying to not do that she's just saying that by making something else out of a quilt, you kind of are appropriating the history of quilts and where they came from for your own financial gain, when if you're clearly talented enough to make a quilted jacket, you could make a quilted jacket whose seams line up perfectly to what you're trying to do, not destroying something else that could have more life when someone else uses it. So you don't have to agree with her, but I just say keep an open mind, because apparently a lot of people in the comments are freaking out. Harriet was clearly making throughout her life, and it's a shame that so little of her work survives. So to reproduce it for profit and then not share those profits with her descendants is so messed up. I think it's typical America to market and profit off of hardship that it itself inflicted. This is part of, of course, what the guilds were mad about too, including um, issues of if they're going to reproduce American quilts, why don't they have American artists reproduce them? So in response to this, many people canceled their Smithsonian memberships, contacted their federal representatives, and protested on the National Mall. 
In response, the Smithsonian added copyright Smithsonian 1992, which uh, is still wrong on so many levels. Like, I know that her work wouldn't yeah. have survived um, the, Sonny Bono, the Sonny Bono Copyright Act because it is so old, but I still think it's, you know, really, it's just still wrong. Because how are Because just because you took a picture of it and put it on a quilt doesn't mean that you suddenly have the copyright to it. Like, this belongs in the public domain. It's a part of our public history. That's why it's at the Smithsonian Museum in the first place. They also promised to not sell the quilts in museum gift shop or in the Spiegel catalog anymore and shifted the reproduction contract uh, to those working on the Lakota Sioux Reservation. The Smithsonian now, they have public forums before they begin reproductions of this nature. And who would have thought quilts would make such an impact? I know that in that interview, I'll send you the link to that and put that in the show notes too, of uh, yeah, her great-great-great-granddaughter talking about how when you, right, just like own something like that, putting copyright 1992, you are um, erasing so much of who this person is. And like you stated before, Jenny Smith only saw her as an African person and just thought it was cool that like an African person could even do that. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, this, this happens time and time again in this country. It is par for the course. Don't let anyone do that to my quotes, Nathan. No way. Finally, uh, we're going to get into the end of this episode. Unfortunately, it is Fatal Fortunes. Harriet Powers does not make it all the way through the end. On January 1st, 1910, Harriet Powers passes away. And I wasn't able to find much on the cause of her passing, but she did live to be 72 years old and was buried in the Gospel Pilgrim Cemetery in Athens. The grave was thought to be lost, but then was rediscovered in 2005. Almost a hundred years after her death, Harriet was inducted into the Georgia Women of Achievement Hall of Fame in 2009. Other notable inductees include singer Ma Rainey, founder of the first African-American PTA, Selena Sloan Butler, and the first female doctor in Savannah, Dr. Alice Woodby McCain. Harriet also, a year later in 2010, was celebrated in a series of events in Athens around the theme, quote, Hands That Do, a centennial celebration of Harriet Powers, unquote. This event included a quilt exhibit, gospel concert, symposium, storytelling, a commemorative church service, and a visit to her gravesite. Finally, in that same month, the mayor of Clark County, Heidi Davidson, declared October 30th to be Harriet Powers Day. And that is the life of Harriet Powers, an American folk artist who can kick up so much controversy you know, so many years after her death, you know, I think that her story is really inspiring that you can, you know, come up from slavery and persevere above it. You don't let it define you. You create art that's unique and distinct from that experience. So, woo. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Fatal Fortunes. We will be back in two weeks time with another spicy, spicy life and maybe a spicy death too. Um, Thank you so much for being here and sticking with us. Remember to check out our, the quilts that we talked about today in the show notes at fatalfortunes.com. Remember to like and subscribe. Leave us a review. Um, please be nice. And remember, on Tuesdays we talk ghosts. See you next time.